Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. Beyond the Mask is also sponsored by crnaeducation.com. CRNAs, you can get the CE credits you need by just going to crnaeducation.com. They have over 100 AANA prior approved credits, all four core CPC modules, and even over 40 pharmacology credits. No subscriptions. It's all online and mobile friendly. Just go to crnaeducation.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out our CE credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. We have Gail Adcock. Um, do you want to put her up on the screen now, Josh? There is Gail. Welcome, Gail. All the way from Hawaii. Aloha. What time is it there, Gail? It is 10 minutes of 6. Oh. A.M., people. A.M. <laughs> A.M. Let me point out, it is A.M. You're an early riser, Gail. Mm-mm-mm. Well, well, I am today. <laughs> you know, we we planned this a year ago, and she did not plan to be in Hawaii at this time. So we figured that Oprah did this before it was cool, right? Got, had had her people zoomed in. Of course, it wasn't zoomed then, so we figured we could do this. So this is technology we're trying out new today. So thank you for joining us all the way from Hawaii. Before we get started, Gail, there's another voice that wants to talk to you and has something for you. So immediate past president, Sherry Bernardo, though she doesn't know that her presidency truly does not end until tomorrow as soon as the meeting is over. But we're going to give the floor to Sherry Bernardo right now. Hello, Senator Adcock. Um, we, we are happy to have you here with us today in Charleston, where we are not having a hurricane, thank goodness. But we just finished our business meeting, and at that business meeting, we have given you the Legislator of the Year Award on behalf of the NCANA. You have been a tireless champion for many, many years for the CRNA group, and one of our themes was, don't let somebody else do it for you. But I said, if if you would be my somebody else, I would let you do it every day, and you do it every day for us up in Raleigh. In addition to the Legislator of the Year Award, we as a board of directors have also voted to make you an honorary member of the NCANA as one of us. Wow. And I will turn it back over to Sharon and and, uh, Jeremy. So, Gail, you've always said you felt like you were a CRNA, and now you are a member of the NCANA. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I am. I'm almost speechless. Let me just say this. I've never said I felt like a CRNA. I said the only difference really 
between us is the letters after our name and that I have done my best to carry your message, your extremely powerful stories in whatever uh, venue I've been in. And it has been through your efforts that your voices have been heard. I'm just glad to be your microphone and your <laughs> megaphone. Uh, well, Gail, thank you. Thank you so much for all you do for the community. And why don't you just kind of give a brief background for maybe some of our audience who doesn't know your background and kind of how you got here. Will you just fill them in on that? And then we'll kind of kick off our topic for today. Okay, I'll do this very briefly. So uh, I'm a family nurse practitioner. I've been one this year for 36 years. Um, I have always been involved since I joined the North Carolina Nurses Association. I can't believe I'm going to say this 43 years ago, coming from an apolitical background and an apolitical family and kind of an apolitical mind, got involved in policy in the, in the most grassroots way with NCNA. And over that 43 years, I've had multiple opportunities in both uh, elected roles and appointed roles and uh, volunteer roles to to learn more about advocacy and has become a, um, a passion for me. And, and I'm sure that many of you can identify with that being members of NCANA, that it's that your organization's like a crucible for all of these, these opportunities to develop your, your skills and talents and everything. And um, 16 years ago, well, let me, let me get back a little bit further beyond that. I um, just, I, I guess I started being, approached by people probably 25 years ago, encouraging me to run for office. Now, these were nurses. Uh, this would be at conventions and other kinds of meetings where I'd go up to the mic, you know, like y'all all do and show yourselves. And people would come up and say, you need to run for office. And I would laugh it off. But eventually over the over about five years, I came to understand that that wasn't such a funny idea. And I got really tired, to be honest, in my role as a grassroots lobbyist going to the General Assembly on a regular basis while I was president in CNA and had many other roles and things like that, um, and going to Washington, talking to people and trying to get them to do what I would call, in quotes, the right thing, and realizing they were actually no smarter than I was. They were just in office and I was not. So I decided to go to campaign school and figure out if I really could be any good at this. And I figured I would either love it or I would hate it. Well, I didn't hate it. <laughs> and I found out there were already some things that I was good at because I was a nurse. And the other things I could learn to do, right? Because we're nurses, we can learn to do anything. And um, so I, I finished campaign school in 2006. And the next year, although my goal had been and continued to be in the back of my mind to run for the legislature, because that's where health policy is made on the grander scale in our state anyway, I was approached to run for local government because there was no clear path to, to the legislature at that point, given who was already in my house and, and my Senate seats. So I ran for my town council in a three-way race, and I won that race with 55% of the vote and joined a seven-member council for my town, Cary, North Carolina, which is not a small town. It's now 182,000 people, so it's not a little town. And uh, I had a four-year term, and then I ran for a second four-year term, and I really found out I loved local government, and I was good at it. Uh, and then I was, and I was the mayor of Cary for that last three years of my seven years, and I was recruited to run for the North Carolina House by several entities. One was, you know, my party, the, some women's activist groups like Lillian's List, and the governor, the former governor of the state, Jim Hunt, 
uh, to run in what was then the most competitive House seat in the state. It was a 2014 race against a two-term incumbent, of course, the opposite party. And I won that race by 777 votes. And nurses were a huge part of my campaign. They weren't my entire campaign, of course, because you've got to have a, a broad constituency to win. But I won that race. I spent four terms, and they, each of those terms are two years. I spent four terms in the House, served on the health committee and, and everything to do with business and local government, reg reform, all my loves. And then last year, I ran for an open Senate seat in my district because my senator ran for Congress. And I won that seat in a four-way race. <laughs> and I am now uh, the only, the first and uh, only uh, nurse to ever serve in our state Senate. Well, yay, Gail. And hopefully not the last. Uh, exactly, exactly. Oh, no, of course not. Let me just say I was the first advanced practice nurse to ever serve in the legislature in any capacity. We've had nurses, but we've never had an advanced practice nurse. I got the door open for y'all. That's right. Come on down there. <laughs> That's right, Gail. So you found out you were good at it. Of course, you're good at everything. So that that's nothing that's not to be expected. But why, as a nurse, what made you good at it? Well, the same thing that makes that will make anybody in the room good at it. So, you know, nurses are, are the smartest people that I know. They're also the most courageous. You know, when we walk into an operating room or a pre-anesthesia area or a patient's room or a classroom or a research lab, or in my case, a corporation, I did family practice for 29 years and I ran an on-site family practice for a huge global corporation. We don't know what's going to happen always. We have an idea and we know what we want to happen, but we have to roll with the punches and we have to be quick on our feet, articulate, process information very rapidly and make decisions often without all the information we would prefer to have because you, sometimes you don't have time to get every bit of data that you would want. So we're really good at that. So, And we're good, of course, the nursing process, identifying problems, the real problem, right, not the superficial problems, coming up with workable uh, solutions with actionable steps. And then actually something that most politicians are really bad at is, is evaluating the outcome and deciding what worked, what didn't work, and what to do next. We're also good at taking accountability for our decisions, something politicians I have found extremely poor at. Usually the first thing when something goes wrong, your elected officials looking around to see who else to blame and throw under the bus. Nurses don't do that. So those are the hard skills we're good at. We're good at analytical uh, analysis and critical thinking and things like that. And plus, we have people skills that most are the envy of every other group I've ever met and are um, a terrific asset to have as an elected official. We are friendly and approachable. We, we are non-judgmental as a rule. We meet people wherever they are. We can scale our language and expectations to meet the person we're talking to. We find common ground. And we are likable people. You know, as the most trusted profession in the country for decades now, other than 2001, People, you know, when I walk in a room and I say to people, and I've done this ever since, well, before I was elected, but certainly since I've been elected, the first thing I say, I say, I'm Senator Gail Adcock. I'm a family nurse practitioner. I put it right out there. And I did that in local government and now in state government. And immediately people think, oh, I can trust this person. It happens instantaneously. So those are many of the other reasons. I will also add, you know, nurses, we're accustomed to hard work. We don't take on anything that's easy, and it's hard to be an elected official. It's hard to be a legislator in particular because the amount of information that comes at you and the decisions you need to make 
very quickly often um, is just like drinking from a fire hose every day. And we have a great deal of physical stamina and mental hardiness. And that is very important. You know, Gail, you're speaking to a room of people in our audience who are extremely busy. Um, you know, we're all busy. Uh, maybe raising families, maybe they're doing 1099, they're working a lot, maybe they're going back to get their DNP. We're a busy group. What do you say to those people about opportunities for being an elected official? And I know that y'all are busy, and we all are, and we make time in our lives for the things that are important to us, but that doesn't mean that we have to do it all by ourselves. So be prior to even being an elected official, taking on some piece of advocacy you could do, getting to know your elected officials, getting in, staying in touch with them, building a relationship with them such that when you need their help and you need their assistance to do something to, to advance an issue or to kill something, that you've got money in that bank, that they're, they're more likely to do what you need. So everybody can do that. You don't have to do it 24 hours a day, but everybody can do that piece. Running for office is actually a very scalable activity. What I find when I talk to nurses, and I actually talk to nurses of all kinds all across the country about this, is that you don't, you know, when we think about running for office often, we think legislative and we think uh, federal level. Those are fine, but there's so many opportunities for elected office that don't have anything to do with those, those two options. Local government is a terrific option for nurses for, uh, of all kinds because it's scalable to your life. So I'm talking about town and city councils or whatever they're called in your area, county commissions, which are all called the same thing in North Carolina, and school boards. These are considered units of local government. They're closest to the people. They are not full-time jobs. They are time-consuming, but it's the kind of time that's chunked and is usually done after your usual work hours, although I know your usual work hours can be anything. If you're on call, you could be given anesthesia at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, but those, <laughs> those opportunities are uh, rich opportunities for nurses. And you don't have to leave home. You know, you get to stay home. You don't have to travel to the capital. So if you live in Canton or you live in uh, Ocean Isle Beach or Shalot or somewhere like that, you're not driving to Raleigh all the time because your your meetings are local. Usually the work is these groups meet like either like school boards often have at least work sessions every week, but they're in the evening usually or late afternoon. And county commissions and town councils usually meet every two weeks with work sessions and things like that in between. Um, it's a wonderful way to have an impact on your community and something that you can really see quickly. Because I always say if the, you know, the federal government route moves like a glacier, they make a decision, if they make a decision, you may not feel it for years, right? Because it's got to go through, it's got to get passed and it's got to go through the rulemaking process. And by the time it's implemented, you've grown hair. But state government is slow too, because they, you know, we may pass a law and it doesn't become effective for a year. But local government, you can make a decision it's called an ordinance. I'm talking about town councils now. You can pass an ordinance on a Friday, and the following Friday, you may actually see something happening. So more immediate results, very tangible, and a great way to improve your, your community. And it's a, it's a wonderful way to learn more about the, the community that you serve. I'll also add this. You, you know, I, those of you who are raising uh, younger children right now or have elderly parents or are working, you know, more than full time, you know, you look, you want to, you maybe you want to be in elected office and you're thinking, I'm going to wait for 20 years or 15 years or something. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
I will also say this. If you run for local office, and you're, whether you're elected or not, but particularly if you're elected, and you start building that resume as an elected official, by the time you're ready to run for something higher, you have such broad support and such a big constituency and a network and a reputation and a record that it's so much easier to do that next step. So don't wait to, uh, don't believe there's only one golden ring to grab because that's just not true. Hey, CRNAs, it's time to simplify your continuing education. Welcome to CRNAeducation.com, your trusted provider for CPC core modules and a plethora of Class A CE credits. You can explore 43 detailed articles covering various anesthesia topics, all from your favorite device, anytime, anywhere. And with over 40 pharmacology CE credits, meet your state board requirements effortlessly. Whether you need a few credits or everything to recertify, we have what you need. Just complete your credits online without any subscriptions or recurring charges. You can trust in our 100% CRNA-owned platform, established in 2011, ensuring you receive the best in customer service and educational content. Ready to learn? Go to crnaeducation.com making continuing education easy and accessible. And don't forget that support is always a quick email or a text or phone call away. To sign up and learn more, just go to crnaeducation.com. So Gail, not everybody is built to run for political office and you know, some of those campaigns can be fairly bruising as my campaign was. I remember calling you when the first negative flyer went out and you said, what took them so long? You knew this was coming. Yeah. Uh, but if CRNAs have time for one thing in the advocacy space, what should that be? Well, I always say there, there's one critical core thing that I do not take for granted that everybody does anymore. And that is register to vote and vote in every single election. Now, if you've moved since the last election, you need to make sure your voter registration is up to date with your correct address. Um, I don't care what party you are. That's immaterial to me. If you want to choose a party, you put that in that information, too. But the, the act of voting, not just in a presidential year or when we have a state senator running or for governor and things like that, but voting in your local races, you are deciding not only your local leaders today, but you're built by your vote. You are helping to build a bench of people you want to see advance because I'm going to tell you that local governments where an awful lot of state and then gradually federal officials come from. So the first thing is register to vote, vote in every election. And I'm talking municipal, super important. And then get to know your own state senator and state representative. And I'll go one step further and say you should know your members, member of Congress and your senators. It's a little harder to do. But those, but your state officials, if you do nothing but send an email to each one of them separately, and I'm going to give you exactly what to do because I get a lot of email that's done in a way that doesn't make it memorable or helpful. You, and I'm going to use myself as an example. Dear Senator Adcock, you may not, if you don't know me, don't call me Gail, okay? I mean, in this official sense. So if you don't know your representative, Super well, call them by their title. They'll tell you when to call them by the first name. Dear Senator Adcock, thank you for your service to our community. Whether you voted for them or not is immaterial. They now represent you, and you need them because you can't vote on the issues that you want their support for or against, and you need their largesse. So thank you for your service to our community. 
My name is Sharon Pierce. I live in Garner in your district. I am a CRNA and I do X. Very brief. I'm talking a sentence or two. My biggest concern right now is I'm going to say uh, uh, access to health care for people who are who don't have it, like Medicaid expansion. I'm just trying to give you an issue to talk about. Um, I would ha be happy to serve as a resource for you for any issues, questions you have about healthcare and nursing, particularly advanced practice nursing, including my specialty. Here is my contact information. Thank you again for your service, signed Sharon Pierce and your home address. Because the first thing they're LA, not them, they're LA is going to do is check your residency status, make sure you're in their district. If you're asking to do something in particular, and that's all you have to do. And then when you do that, every, you know, don't do it once. Okay. This is not like, like uh, a, a failed first date where you only get one stab at it, right? <laughs> you need to establish a kind of a, uh, a bit of a per, uh, persona with this person. So when you do the email and you introduce yourself, and then maybe you go to an event, doesn't have to be a fundraiser. It could be a town hall. It could be a meet and greet. It could be something they've sponsored for the business community or for citizens. And you say to them, hi, I'm Sharon Pierce. You got an email from me a couple of months ago. I know you're so busy, but I just wanted the opportunity to meet you in person. And then they get another email from you in three or four months that just says, hey, checking in to let you know that I'm really pleased with how you're doing down there, or I'm just checking to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you're doing or that kind of thing. And then when you when NCANA gets in touch with you about an issue on which they need you to contact your member of the your members of the legislature and you reach out to them, then they're going to go, oh, I know that person. I've, I've met them and talked to them several times. This is a known quantity and they're more likely to listen to you. So, yes, that's more than one thing. But that first critical thing, which is registering to vote and voting. I think is a natural segue to the second part, which is the real advocacy piece. And the first part is letting people know who you are and learning who they are. So Gail, that kind of brings us to a point um, and something that's obviously concerning to all APRNs across the state is the SAVE Act. How are APRNs doing advocating for this? And the big question is, why hasn't it passed? Yeah. If we're so hot, why hadn't it passed? <laughs> um, well, let me just say this. We've done a great job. The APRN community has done a terrific job over the more a little more than 10 years now because we started getting together 10 years ago as a, as a, a strategy group to get to know each other, trust each other, and strategize together. And over the eight and a half years that I've been at the legislature, I've seen us make incredible progress in getting our message out there about what the SAVE Act really is, right? That it's that it's about just practicing within our the full scope of our education and training and certification experience and it without any other profession being involved. And what it's not, because there's a lot of myth out there among our, you know, that our opponents spread. Uh, we've done a great job of getting that message out. We've done a terrific job of raising our group profile. I think CRNAs above really any group has had a longer history of having a presence in the General Assembly than any other APRN group. So we're just all trying to catch up with y'all. But we've done a great job of raising our profile as a group so that when we say to a member now, unless they are fresh off the truck, and we say to them, I'm an advanced practice nurse, they know what the heck we're talking about. And when we say the word CRNA and we say that we're nurse practitioner, we don't have people saying anymore, what is that? 
And I'm going to tell you, 10, 15 years ago, the first thing you had to do was, was tell them what it was and why it was different from an RN. Now, I'm not saying that we still don't have to, you don't have to, and I don't have to explain to them exactly what we do, because that's a little harder to, to, for the average layperson to understand. But we've done a great job of that. We have done a terrific job as a group of getting to know the, the power brokers in the legislature and having many of them take on our cause. And I'll use the biggest example of the health chairs in the Senate. The, all three health chairs are uh, big backers of the SAVE Act, that Senators Kravik, Corbin, and Bergen, and the President Pro Tem of the Senate, Phil Berger, is one of our huge supporters. We don't have that kind of high-level leadership support in the House, unfortunately, but that's not because of any failing on our side. What it is, as I'm sure you're all well aware, is the um, extreme power of money and, and therefore influence that our opponents have, which is the Medical Society and the uh, Society of Anesthesiologists. And they have, they have gotten those roots really deep in the house and they have failed to do it as, or they've been unsuccessful at doing that so much in the Senate. Um, so we have advanced our message so much over the, the time that I've been um, in the legislature, such that last session back in June of 2022, when over on the Senate side, when Senator Berger and the others who were uh, had, had come around to the to the belief that it was time to pass Medicaid expansion, and they came up with an omnibus bill that um, it had six parts. One of those parts was the SAVE Act, word for word. That bill passed the Senate 44 to 1 on two successive days. It was like 43-2 and then 44-1. I mean, that was incredible. You know, APRNs have been told, our coalition's been told by the, you know, the medical society that stands on the margins and says, oh, that'll never happen, that'll never happen, thinking they could phone it in, right? They never thought our bill would ever get heard in a committee. Save Act was heard in three committees over two legislative days. They said, oh, that bill will never get out of a chamber. That bill passed the Senate with that kind of overwhelming vote, and they were on the run, honey. Let me tell you, they were about to set their hair on fire. So we have kept <laughs> medicine off balance and, uh, and fully understanding that we can get this done because they never thought we would get as far as we have. So while we haven't passed the bill yet, what I have come to learn in politics, particularly down on Jones Street, is there's more to there's more to victory than getting the bill passed. There are these incremental successes that lead to victory, very much like a football game, where you got to make a first down all the time to get down the field, right? Well, let me tell you what we have gotten this bill to the 99 yard line, and we have not come this far to only come this far, and we will get it passed. Here, here, love that. Well, if one thing you've taught me, Gail, is that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I can remember the first lobby day that the nurse anesthetist ever had. It was in the year 2000. I was president-elect of this organization at the time. And we've come a long way, baby, but it's been 23 years <laughs> since we first started down this path. But let's go back to the General Assembly. How much of what I see on TV or read on social media about the General Assembly is true? Well, I love this question because it's a great opportunity to kind of set the record straight. 
uh, what we know about social media, what we know about media in general, is that people want sensationalism. You know, if it, uh, if it bleeds, it leads and all that. They really like controversy. They like to talk about it, about the times that we disagree and that we're vehemently opposed to each other. And, and that does happen. And But guess what? That's maybe 20% of the time. Maybe. It might be more like 15. And the other 80% of the time, and this is in both chambers, we agree on the issues. We often agree on the ways to get there. Or at a minimum, we work together to form a compromise to get to that outcome. And so about 80% of the time, we vote together to get things done. It's either unanimous or it's maybe a divided vote, but it's not all Democrats or all Republicans. So there's a mix of, of Republicans and Democrats on the yes side and the no side. That's usually a really good policy is when you get people on both sides of the, of the aisle who go, I'm not so sure, and you get people on both sides of the aisle who go, I love it, right? You know, you're somewhere in the sweet spot. So the truth of the matter is we have a lot of agreement and we work well together on many issues of, that the press never carries. And they never talk about the complimentary things we say about each other in committee or on the floor. They never talk about the times that we actually work together and could not have advanced something without the help of the other side, even though the other side's in the supermajority right now. So I think it's and that we have often have, uh, if, if not close uh, friendships, we have good working relationships with each other and have a great deal of respect for each other. I think that's something that most people just really don't know because they don't see a lot of it happens behind, you know, closed doors in committee meetings and things like that. Well, those aren't closed meetings, but you know what I mean. They're not covered by the press usually. Um, and I think that's important for you to know for this reason. I think it's easy these days to be very discouraged about the political process and politics in general and to feel like, number one, that you're insignificant and that what you do doesn't make a difference. Talking to somebody doesn't make a difference of uh, talking to them about an issue. Um, and that you don't want to get you don't want to get involved in something that's just so nasty. I get that. I really do. And so this is why I think it's important for you to know it can be like that sometimes, but it is not like that all the time. I couldn't go down there every day if it was like that all the time. And, and so here's the way I put it. You know, we agree and work together well about 80% of the time. And that other 20%, I'm not sure I can move the needle on because it comes from very entrenched and different ideologies on both sides. That sides. And so what I do is I go town every downtown every day and I give 100% to that 80%. And that, if I've had any success downtown, I think that's a big part of it. Gail, you mentioned the other side and, and that's part of this conversation today. I mean, you've been in the minority for your entire legislative career. <laughs> I mean, how do you deal with that? And what have you learned from that? Oh, um, this is another question I enjoy. So, so let me, I always loved, I love to talk to nurses because I like to use examples that I know that I hope will resonate with them. So here's what I believe I know about your audience today is that all of you had to have critical care experience before you went to nurse anesthetist school. And so, and I was, believe it or not, I started my nursing career uh, too many years ago to mention as a critical care nurse for a couple of years. But here's what I know. I went to work every night, and I worked night shift, every night with critically ill people. And I knew that I could not save every one of them. I knew I could give it my best effort every shift 
but some people, their situation was so dire that no matter how good a job I did and how dedicated I was and how much I put into it, the outcome was not going to be what people wanted either. They were going to be severely disabled from a from a head injury or a spinal cord injury, or they were going to die or something like that. But I still went to work just like you did. And that's how I feel about the legislature. I know that I am not going to be able to get everything I want to get done, but that is no reason for me not to go. And it is a high honor to be one of 50 people out of almost 11 million people in our state and to sit in one of those seats and to be part of the process, even when you're in the minority, you know, it, it is not lost on me any day that I sit in that chamber and look around and go, I, the 30 members in the majority each have one vote. I get the same vote that they get. Hmm. So you're not going to switch sides is what you're telling us. <laughs> I do not see that in my future. <laughs> Well, Gail, we have a lot of students in our audience today. And what if they're saying, I'm not a political person. I have no experience talking to politicians. How do they get more comfortable doing that? Because not everybody is quite as approachable as you are, Gail. Oh, that, well, that's true. I know that's true. And I've been a student, and I mean, we all have. And I've also felt less than confident and, uh, you know, had to start somewhere. So I would say take advantage. I know that these students are uh, members of their association and they are going and they are mentored by members of your association and they are very involved and they're going to become members, uh, full-fledged members when they graduate. I know that for a fact, right? And so take advantage of every opportunity that you get in a group setting to learn more and to go to Lobby Day and buddy with a CRNA and go watch. You don't have to talk the first time or two you go. But it, there's so much uh, to be gained by this observational period where you go with two or three other people and you sit and listen and observe. And here's what you're going to find out. Yes, you're a student. I mean, you're a student in nurse anesthesia school, but you are not a novice at how to interact with people. You come to nurse anesthetist school with a wonderful set of skills. You are a content expert on nursing, even if you're not yet a content expert on nursing anesthesia or nurse anesthesiology, whatever you guys want to call it. And so you don't have to jump in and do everything like an accomplished person like many of your current members are on day one. But, but and find them, you know, I'd say if you have a huge interest in this and getting better at this, is find someone to, to mentor you, to talk with you about your hesitations, to talk with you about your questions. Because I'm going to tell you, just like when you go to nursing school, just like when you go to nurse anesthesia school, there's a whole new language, all kinds of shortcuts, all kinds of acronyms in politics that, and in the legislature that we just throw around thinking everybody knows what we mean by short session. And everybody, we think everybody knows what we mean by agency bill and stuff like that. And so to have somebody that you can say, tell me what all these words mean. And what do they mean by what's the difference between a long and short session? And what does, what's the difference between a conference report and a concurrence vote and things like that? And how come when we went to see Senator thus and such, they seem so interested in this topic, but we're so dogmatic about this other thing. And so, because often there's a backstory 
to these opinions and these positions that once you understand them, just like once you understand where your patient's coming from, you have a better idea of why they want to do and not do what you're instructing them to do or asking them to do. It's very helpful. So I would say that is, um, those are some things they can consider. And here's at the core of that. And I say this to your members too, and not just your nurse, to your students. We're not going to always do everything perfectly. And that's okay. We just need to do it. This fear of uh, imperfection, right? This fear of, in quote, failure, that somebody's going to be looking at us and judging us. That's a load of crap. Because, I mean, it's called the spotlight effect. And we think everybody's watching us and judging us. And the truth of the matter is they're not paying nearly as much attention to us as we think they are. This is stuff in our head. This is the voice in our head telling us that we're not good enough and we're not smart enough and we're not articulate enough. And we just need to question that voice. We just need to question where it comes from. We need to tell it to shut up. And we just need to go do it, even if it's not perfect. Because here's the thing. Nobody's doing it perfectly. You just don't see all their biggest gaps, but you see some. You just have a high tolerance for other people's mistakes and a very low tolerance for your own. And you will learn a lot from the things that you don't get super right the first time uh, in, in this space. I'm not talking about nurse anesthesia now where I know you got to be perfect. Okay, but I'm talking about dealing with downtown where you don't have to be perfect. You just have to do it. That's what I would say. Well, as somebody who has made pretty much every mistake that you can make, and I still wound up being effective, I can tell you a story from a long time ago. I had gotten a check from our PAC, and I had no idea that it's illegal to give it to a legislator in the building, because I did it. That's how I found out. (laughs) One time I got on the elevator, and I had my CRNA pen on, And this gentleman was on the elevator, and he said, oh, you are a CRNA. And this was way back in the day when people didn't know what a CRNA was in the building. And I said, well, that means you must know what that is. Yes, I do. It's a certified registered nurse. I can't say the word. (laughs) I said, well, I understand. My mother died and still could not say the word. So I said, try this. If you can say Methodist, you can say anesthetist. He tried it. He still couldn't do it. I said, okay, I'm going to tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody this, but just say a nest of tits really fast. <laughs> it was the speaker of the house. I was, in the, I was in the elevator with you when you did that with somebody one day, and I thought I was going to go through the floor. Well, the, first, <laughs> the first time I did it, it was, the, it was Speaker Morgan. I, was, I, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> That's whenever I learned they always wear this little round pen uh, that says that they're a legislator. So look for that pen before you open your mouth, okay? But Speaker Morgan and I became great friends, and every lobby day, and rest his soul, he's dead now, but every lobby day he would wear this sparkly pen and come to our lobby day. So I made a mistake, but it wound up okay. Sharon, you know why we wear those pens? That? Because we're so, because your average legislator is so nondescript, if we didn't wear a pen, nobody would know that we're a legislator. <laughs> That's why. Uh, well, Sharon, did you go to jail? No, we don't walk around with some big aura. We don't have yeah. an entourage other than the speaker and the pro tem. We have to have that to differentiate ourselves. So, so y'all know each other because there's 170 of you. Well, and that there. we know we're, we're not there to clean the building or something. I mean, I'm just telling you. <laughs> 
No, Jeremy, I did not go to jail. Okay, I'm just making sure. But I've I wanted to clear the air. I've got a few people out here who they put me you out. in jail. Though. Shut up. There's a few that would put you in jail out there too. So. Three, two, one. Hey, we have an exciting announcement for Beyond the Mask podcast fans. Coming up in November, the clinical series gets a facelift. We welcome Gary Bridges, the board of director at the National Board of Certification and Recertification for Nurse Anesthetists, and Terry Wicks, clinical assistant professor at the UNC Greensboro School of Nursing, to the Beyond the Mask family. They'll be your hosts for Anesthesia Alchemy, Terry and Gary Unplugged. Here are Gary and Terry to give you a tease of what's to come on their episodes. Hey, well, 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 folks, guess who's back in the podcasting game? It's none other than your favorite dynamic duo. (laughs) That's right, Terry. They can't get enough of us, can they? No, apparently not, Gary. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Anesthesia Alchemy, Terry and Gary Unplugged. We're your hosts, Terry Wicks and Gary Bridges, the CRNA Dream Team. So we're here to sprinkle a little bit of laughter and a lot of anesthesia wisdom into your day and have some fun all along the way. Well, you know, Terry, we've got some exciting stuff lined up for our fellow nurse anesthetists out there and anyone else who actually cares to join us and learn a little bit about the tricks and tribulations of clinical anesthesia care. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to take some deep dives into clinical anesthesia. We're going to tackle some tricky topics with humor and heart, and we're going to sprinkle a little bit of science in there with them just to be true to the art form. (laughs) And you know what, Terry? We might even throw some anesthesia jokes along the way, too. Oh, no, no, no. I can't believe it. Not you and me. Anesthesia jokes? Who would have thought? Well, we're all full of surprises. So, folks, sit back, relax, and get ready for some CRNA magic on the Anesthesia Alchemy Terry and Gary Unplugged. The first edition of Anesthesia Alchemy debuts on Tuesday, November 7th. And you can expect to hear this special series on the first and third Tuesdays every month. We can't wait to see what Gary and Terry have in store for us on Anesthesia Alchemy. Join us for that special series here on Beyond the Mask. You know, Gail, there's a lot of people probably in this audience, and I hear it from CRNAs all the time. I, I hate politics. In fact, I got a, a message from a lady on Facebook the other day who uh, sent me, you know, I hate the ANA. Um, I hate being a CRNA because it's so political, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just, she just went on and on and on. So there's a lot of CRNAs that feel that way. No, they're not. There are. There's that, a few. There's a lot. Uh, I'm going to say there's a lot. So they just, they just don't want to be involved in politics. We always get like this. You know that, Gail. Um, I do. My, my answer to that is I've never seen an industry that is so politically charged in my working career. And what I say to those CRNAs is, what would you do if you couldn't pay your bills? What would you do if you couldn't go do your job? Because I'd become a financial planner. There you should. You would fail miserably, but you should try. Um, <laughs> that's truth, guys. Um, but, you know, I, I think that CRNAs haven't done a great job painting that picture because really that's what the other side wants. They want to control you. They want to control your income. And they don't want you to be able to make those decisions for yourself. And that's what I tell people why politics matters. And it does matter because I work with a lot of you every single day. And I'm telling you, you want to make somebody mad, you mess with their money. Okay? I can tell you that. 
and the other side has done a great job painting that picture to the anesthesiologist. Those mean nurses, they want to take your job. They want to take your income. They All that time you spent in medical school doing residency and that $600,000 salary that you've got, those nurses are coming for it. We need your money. CRNAs haven't done a great job doing that. So I say that because CRNAs out there are listening to this and they say, I hate the politics stuff. What are two or three things they can do to influence these political outcomes without running for office, without loving politics? What can they do? Because bottom line, this could affect their way of life and how they earn their income. And right now everything's good. But I've been doing this for a long time. And the CRNA industry, as Jeff Cole and I talked about earlier, is very cyclical. And it will transition again. It's good now. But there's going to come a time when it's not. Yeah, well, I like it's a framing issue. It's it's how you decide to frame the the issue, and I'll use the um, analogy of malpractice insurance, liability insurance. None of us would practice without liability insurance, not because we think we're going to do anything wrong, but because we know that we can do our best work, and the outcome can still turn out not to be a really bad outcome or just an adverse outcome. And we protect ourselves by having liability insurance because we cannot predict the future and we cannot predict the actions of other people. And usually we're, and especially in your situation, you're giving anesthesia as a team, whether it's just you and the surgeon and the circulating and, uh, you know, assisting nurse or whatever, but it's still, you have only so much control and you cannot predict the future. This is very true of politics and it's very true of professional practice is that we can we can go out there and do our very best work. That doesn't mean we're going to be rewarded. We're going to be recognized as important to decision making and not just important to care delivery. And if we want to have and one thing I know about I believe I know about CRNAs is that you have the kinds of personalities where you want to, as much as possible, determine the outcome. You want to make sure your performance is so good that your patient is going to do great. You may be and in so you yes, <laughs> and um, and so if you want to have more control over your ability to do everything that you learn to do in school and that you have learned to do subsequently and to practice as the independent professional that you really are, then you have to also have insurance to make sure that continues to happen because you cannot predict the future. And so that is why you belong to, to the AANA and pay your dues, whether you ever go to a meeting, whether you ever read any of their stuff, you need to pay into that big pot of protection, okay, and yet you join NCANA and you give them your money to do good things and that you contribute to the pack so that the, the NCANA pack can build a team, help build a bench of legislators who have at, at least a, who have a, in a perfect world, they have an excellent understanding of CRNAs and want to protect you at all costs. And at a minimum, that they have a bench of legislators who want to do no harm to you, right? That they are not willing to harm you because they don't understand what you do or because somebody else like medicine, organized medicine comes in and says, these people don't know what they're doing. And we, if we don't control them, they'll hurt people. They say this, they say this every day. We know it's a lie. We need lobbyists downtown who counter those arguments, but we also need 
legislators who've been talked to by not just those lobbyists, but the CRNAs in their district, the CRNAs who've come downtown, who have gotten them so, so understanding that when they hear that from a medical lobbyist, they say, that's not true, or I don't believe you, or show me the evidence. I've seen the APRNs have shown me the reams, you know, the list of reams of, of research that have been done on the safety and efficacy and cost effectiveness of their practice. Where is your data? So that they, it opens these legislators' minds to ask critical questions and not just believe what they are fed, the propaganda that they are fed. This is why you get involved. You never have to run for office. You never have to darken the door of the General Assembly if you don't want to. But guess what? You need to fund the people and support the people who do because they want to do this work for you. But you've got to help them. We all have that responsibility because, you know, if we don't rise together, we will surely sink altogether. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855 855- 304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So let's say that you are looking at the future election and you say, okay, my legislators are in safe districts. You know, where I'm from originally, uh, Davidson County is R plus 13. Democrats don't even put their name on the ballot. It's such a waste because it's going to be a Republican that wins every single time. So what can I do to affect other elections that would be helpful to me as a CRNA? Oh, yeah, I have some good advice for this. I'll just say about Davidson County that I like to say even the farm animals are Republicans there. <laughs> I mean, everybody's They Republican. are. Where the men everybody's are men and the Republican livestock's nervous. nervous. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, here's the, um, so here's the cool thing. So it's so neat. You don't have to have a passport and to get out of your county and go work in somebody else's district that needs your help. So if you are, if you live in a safe district, you know, I always say to my constituents, you say, can I knock doors for you? Can I make phone calls for you? And and I need a certain amount of that. Depends on my opponent. And I won't know until we file in December, you know, the strength of my opponent and how much of a, of a race I'm going to have. But what I often will say to them is, look, I appreciate this. And I know you want to do it because you love me. If you really want to make a difference in, because the, let me back up and say this. If you're not happy, with the decisions, and I'm not just talking about healthcare here, but other things, education, economic development, transportation, all kinds of things that are happening at the legislature. The only way to change the decisions is to change who's in the seats and change the math because the math is overwhelming right now. So beyond just voting, if you go into a district where the candidate that you support, whether they're an incumbent or a challenger, is going to support the things that, that you want to see supported, you can work in their campaign. You can live in Davidson County and you can work in Cabarrus County. You can live in Wake County and you can go to Bertie County and work in a race. You can make phone calls now from your home. You don't have to go to these places to do it. You could go to Pitt County like many nurse practitioners and CRNAs did and work for Brian Fargus, trying to help him keep that seat that he 
that he lost. And I'm telling you, nurses made a huge difference. I mean, he lost by a very slim margin. And the first, his first victory where he, he beat, and I'm sure y'all know this, he beat a sitting legislator who happened to be an anesthesiologist. He beat the crap out of him. And why? Because nurses, nurse practitioners and CRNAs in particular, went down and worked in his campaign to make sure that he won. And he was a very stalwart uh, supporter of the say that. So, and if you don't know who those people are, then ask your uh, NCANA board members because they're going to know where the vulnerable districts are. Uh, there are the way our state is gerrymandered, like so many are. You know the, at least you know the party that's going to win. You may not know the person because the person hasn't filed yet, but there are, there are a handful, more than a handful of districts where uh, get out the vote efforts and people understanding for what the candidates stand for can make a huge difference in the outcome. So I think that's a great question. And I would encourage your members who have the energy and the desire to help change the, you know, the number, the numbers downtown to at least do one thing to help a candidate of their choice. That's not in a safe district, whether that's to make phone calls for them or give money to them. And I'm not talking about a thousand dollars or to go door to door on a weekend for them. It, I will tell you that you're really good at this stuff because you're so, so good with people. And it is, there's something so satisfying about knowing that you have helped in a way, whether the person wins or not, but particularly if they win, to know you had a part in that success and that victory. And I'll tell you this from someone who is getting ready to have her eighth campaign in the last 16 years. You never forget people who work in your campaigns. No matter what they do, you will remember them and be grateful to them forever. Well, you bring up a good point about door knocking. And whenever I ran, that was the hardest thing for my campaign manager and I to get people to come and help door knock. But it was the most rewarding thing that I did. Now, I had to look at a lot of boils and a lot of prescription medicines because when you tell them you're a nurse... Um, they want you to come in their house and take a look at things that maybe you don't want to look at. But it was very fulfilling. And so if any of you guys ever get the opportunity to work with a campaign, go door knocking. It's not as intimidating as you think. And they were sending out so many flyers against me. Everybody knew what I looked like. And they'd open the door and they'd go, gosh, you're so much prettier in person than that picture. Uh, so, well, that's because your opponents never use good-looking pictures of you, Mike. I don't know. My they used one that was really good. I was shocked how good oh. it was. <laughs> you talk about negative campaigning. My first race, my opponent was really, you know, really wanted to win. And so he pulled out all the stops and did a lot of negative campaigning. One flyer he sent out for me, he had uh, photoshopped my face and my nose was a big branch with leaves growing on it. He called I me remember that. And I was a liar and all this stuff. And I just laughed. And uh, when he lost, the, the, uh, <laughs> I laughed local, when he lost. <laughs> the big, no, better than that, besides laughing, the big local um, paper in the triangle did a caricature of him as Pinocchio with his face and a big long nose. And my children love that picture because they were very <laughs> upset that their mom's face had, had been defaced. But so we're going back to canvassing and, and, and knocking doors. You know, don't go by yourself. I always send my people in teams of two people because, mm -hmm. you know, first of all, it's 
it's safer. Second yeah. of all, it's comforting. But you learn from each other. And there's just something about one person says, da, 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 and the other person says, yes, right. You know, and to, to have one of the, the real advantages to having nurses not doors. I have a lot of people besides nurses who not doors, but nurses have the big advantage for this reason. They say, please vote for my friend, my fellow nurse friend, Gail Adcock. That person almost all the time is going to say, well, tell me more about that. Because here you, it, there's such an implicit message there. Your friend's willing to go walk in the, in the 90 degree heat or the pouring rain or the cold or whatever kind of weather it is to come out and ask me to vote for you. That's how much they believe in you. I want to hear this story. It's very powerful. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, Gail, I think we could talk to you for the rest of the day, but we know you've got other things you want to do out in Hawaii. So as we conclude here, anything you want to conclude on and get across to our audience? Uh, yes. Thank you for asking. Well, number one, I want to thank you. And not just thank you for making me your legislator of the year and an honorary member, which is a huge honor. And I, I'll have to think about a more articulate way to thank you for that. But but thank you for the work that you do and, and certainly at your places of work, but also thank you for the work you do in the political space as an organization and as individual members. I, I know so many of you because of the trench work we've done together uh, for the last at least decade and actually longer before I was in elected office, we've always been, you know, colleagues. Um, there's, there's no way to describe the I think adequately the effect that you've had through your relentless efforts to protect your practice and therefore to protect the people of the state and make sure they have access to the anesthesia care that they need by the best anesthesia provider, which is you. And I just commend you. I respect you so much for what you do. I need you. Uh, I need to continue to be partners with you. And I fully believe that we will continue to be partners together. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, Gail, thank, thank you for all you've done for this community. And can we give Gail a round of applause real quick? And um, all you continue to do, um, I'm sure everyone out here is going to be supportive of you as you are of them. And Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think it is. Well, do you want to close us today? No, I don't. You, you never Be want the to man close us. and do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley. He knows his name now. <laughs> and? and Sharon Pierce. <laughs> Sharon, if people like our show and want to help us grow, how can they do that? Well, the best way to help us to grow is to share us on social media, tell your friends. Uh, we travel by word of mouth, <laughs> we grow by word of mouth. Leave us a review. But make it. Positive. We all know there's enough negativity in this world. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country, thanks to you, our listeners, and we're on the way to number... Number one, just like we are in the CRNA community. We're the most listened to podcast across the country for CRNAs. We're going to have a million downloads this year. People said it couldn't be done. We did it. Um, we're very excited about that. We've got a lot planned for the podcast moving yes. forward. And they uh, listen to us in 125 countries. Yeah. So but I talk slow enough that even if it's your second language, they can understand me. We can't speed her up. All right. <laughs> until next time. It's a wrap.
Attention all certified nurse anesthetists. Are you in need of a reliable and quality continuing education option? Well, look no further than crnaeducation.com. We are an NBCRNA-recognized provider, offering all four core CPC modules to meet your certification requirements. You can choose from more than 100 AANA prior-approved Class A CE credits with 43 articles covering a wide range of anesthesia topics. Need pharmacology CE credits? Well, we've got you covered there as well, with over 40 pharmacology CE credits available. All credits are completed online and are mobile-friendly. Choose articles worth one, two, or three credits. There's no subscriptions, no hidden fees, just the CE credits you need when you need them. Owned by CRNAs since 2011, you can trust in our commitment to your education. And customer service is always a quick email or phone call or even text away. To sign up and find out more about our education options, visit crnaeducation.com, your partner in continuing education. That's crnaeducation.com. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.